welcome. If you're here for the first time or the first of a few times, we want to give you a special um, welcome and just say thank you for sharing your morning with us. If you haven't filled out one of these cards, I invite you to do that. doesn't mean you're a sinner or anything like that if you don't, but just an encouragement to give us a chance to put some information in front of you about who we are. And then also there's a little place on the back where you can write down a prayer request, how we might be able to pray for you. We pray for you in our staff meetings that happen on Tuesdays at lunch. And um, sometimes at times we pray on Wednesday mornings for these specific prayer requests. It depends on what we're doing on a Wednesday morning prayer time, but the men may pray over these as well. So these don't go in some file and they're not forgotten. There's for purpose. So long way of saying, fill that out and drop it in the little satchel thing as it comes by later. And uh, let us follow up on that and be a good steward with your visit. Um, if you're here too, let me encourage you. If you're here to, as a visitor looking for a church home, there's some great churches in Greenville. And we pray for local churches every Sunday morning when we gather because we want Christ to be enjoyed. We want the kingdom to be advanced in churches. We are not the only church in town that's doing what we believe is what God's called us to do. So. Um, we encourage you, if you visit here for a period of time, to do that for a period of time. Maybe not one visit. One visit's a snapshot. Ideally, you get a little video before you make a decision about where the Lord should have you. But if you're here for one time or whatever, one of a few, and you move on to another church, then Godspeed. We want God's best for you, and uh, we're thankful that you gave us this morning. Let's start with prayer. We also pray for a local official. This morning, we're going to pray for Andy Bench, uh, one of our local judges just having to make some crazy difficult decisions from day to day. And just pray for wisdom for a man that's having to um, take on such a challenging job. So we'll pray for another church as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, a few things that we want to lift up before we climb into your word. Uh, first of all, we want to pray for a local official, uh, for Andy Bench. We are so thankful for the family relationship that we have to Andy through Samantha and uh, just a close affection and relationship with Karen uh, Lord, we just want to lift up Andy right now as a, a friend and a brother and um, ask you to give him a wisdom that's beyond him as he, as a judge, is having to make very difficult decisions about people's futures. Um, just pray in particular this week that you will give him such discernment that it's as if you are making decisions through him or you are executing your will through him. That's a big prayer. But we have some big events, especially this week, that are in front of him, and we just pray for wisdom. Uh, secondly, Lord, we want to pray for another church in our community, and one that is near and dear to us, C3 and Commerce. Uh, so thankful for this relationship that we have as C3 with C3 as they're planting, as the planting church, and uh, enjoying just right now, just reveling in the time that we had together last night with them and their families just fellowshipping and enjoying uh, our time together with them, just amazed at what you've done through them and at largely student-populated uh, church. Lord, we are thankful that you are in some ways are equipping uh, and deploying the church through C3 and Commerce, that you, you are in some ways reaching the nations as these students come from all over the globe um, to come to school in Commerce and that you lead them to be part of C3 there. Lord, we are thankful for the relationship we have with them. We pray for your best in and through them. Uh, we pray for David and Whitney, uh, for Ron and Patty, for Kevin and Audra. We just pray that they'll be fueled by worship as they serve, that they will enjoy the work, that you would guard them from duty, that you would guard them from just a J-O-B, that you would guard them from the drudgery, and um, that you would call their, or draw their eyes and call to remembrance the teachable, the hungry, the um, responsive, and um, that they would keep a burden for folks who aren't, but that they would be fueled by the wind behind them, the fuel for them would be uh, how you're working in people's lives. What a, what a sweet privilege to lift them up this morning. Lord, also, we want to pray for little Micah Keeling as he is um, working through some um, physical issues. Being only days old, Lord, we offer up his tiny little heart and his heartbeat and his little body, we offer him up to you and ask you to heal his body of whatever it might be, an infection or a pneumonia. Lord, we place him in your hands, and we know he's already there. I guess in, in some ways what we're doing is just reminding ourselves that you are good and sovereign and that you're a good shepherd and that you care 
And uh, we just lift him up this morning and pray that you would watch over him. We pray, too, that you would watch over Lance and Sarah and give them a peace that passes understanding in knowing that little Micah is in really good hands. Lastly, Lord, we want to pray for Bud Jones and his family. It's grieving. And uh, thankful for a man that loves you, loves your people, loves his mom. And I'm just heartbroken with him and for him as he's had to say, say goodbye to his mom this week. We just pray that they will enjoy a life well spent and enjoy that his mom is in a beautiful place with you right now. Uh, all these things we're privileged, privileged to offer up this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to the book of Ephesians. A couple of weeks ago we started a journey through the book of Ephesians that may last um, a period of time. We don't really know how long things like this might last. We just step off into them and we are three weeks into the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is really a letter. It's written by a man named Paul to the Ephesian church, fitting uh, that's the name of it, or possibly churches in the region around Ephesus. Uh, it's unlike a lot of our other letters in the New Testament in that it's not occasional. That means that it's not written to deal with some sort of problem necessarily that's going on in the church. They weren't necessarily being worldly or uh, there was not some obvious division that was going on in the church. There was no false teaching that Paul's having to address as far as we know. It just looks like this book of Ephesians is just good nourishment for a church that Paul loves. And that's, man, what a delightful journey that we've got in store that we've already had the last couple of weeks just enjoying good nourishment. Uh, last week we started what, what we're calling a little three-week series on spiritual blessings. Uh, verse 3 of the first chapter was sort of our guide in escorting us into this plan for last week, this week, and next Sunday. Um, it's, verses 3 through 14 are really one of the longest Greek sentences in our Bibles. It's, it's, um, um, in some ways, Paul is sort of gushing over all that he realizes and knows that we have in Christ. And it, the, the whole uh, sentence there, verses 3 through 14, is really void of any physical blessings. Paul is writing from prison, so he doesn't really have a whole lot to write about there on physical blessings. He's probably got three squares, but he's, he, he's chained to a Roman guard, and he's on house arrest in Rome. So he's not really focused on physical blessings so much. He's focused on blessings that are way more durable way more durable, like eternally durable. And he gives us a list of some things that we're considering last week, this week, and next that follow sort of a guide of the Trinity. It's a wonderful, wonderful Trinitarian sentence and Trinitarian flow to it. Last week we considered what we have in the Father or what sort of what we have um, from the Father in verses 4 through 6. But first I want to read verse 3 to sort of guide us back into the storyline, okay, and where we're going today. Uh, this is sort of foundational context. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like I said, he didn't have much to say about physical blessings. He's focusing on very durable spiritual blessings and ones that, in fact, are safeguarded in the high courts of heaven. And, and something that is very important to realize too is his word every there tells us that in some ways he's giving us what he believes to be an exhaustive list. An exhaustive or complete list may be a better word of what he considers to be spiritual blessings, really durable, safeguarded in the high courts of heaven. The first of those blessings we considered last week is in verses 4 through 6. I'm going to read that and just say one sentence on last week's message. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, that's speaking of the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Last week, we considered the first on the top of the list of his spiritual blessings, these durable, scandalous blessings, is that the Father has made a choice of his people before he ever even said, let there be light. 
The Father's choice is something to be celebrated. It's not something to be ashamed of. It is something to be celebrated. It is something to be treasured. And it's not based on merit or performance. Thank the Lord. There will be some amens up in here. That It's not based on performance or aptitude even. But it's based on, as it says right here, the purpose of his own will. This morning, though, we're going to be moving into the Son's work. We followed the guide of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This morning we're going to be moving through, through verses 7 through 12, considering two of three things that we have in the Son. And then next week we'll consider that third thing we have in the Son and what we have in the Holy Spirit. So that's bird's eye view of what we're going to do this morning, looking at two things that we have in the Son, the third that we have in the Son, and what we have in the Holy Spirit will be next week. Okay, let's look at our passage. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. I want to share some important observations before I get into the two things that we can draw out of this passage in regards to Jesus. These observations first have to do with Jesus, and the second group of observations have to do with the Father. Okay, first having to do with the Son. This passage is super saturated. Let's just like way beyond saturated. It's super saturated with prepositional phrases pointing us to Jesus. Just the passage that I just read has one after another. In him, in Christ, in him, in him, in Christ. It is all over this passage. And it's all over the passages that we looked at before. Verses 1 through 6. And it's all over the passages afterwards. One passage after another that tell us that this book of Ephesians, and especially so these verses that we're looking at this morning, are Christ-centric. They help us understand what we have in Christ. These passages and this letter are going to help us understand what was accomplished for us in Christ. These passages and all these prepositions that are going to help us discern what happened here and what's going on that God has been up to are going to help us understand who we are in Christ. And all these prepositions are going to help us understand, along with this letter, what it means to be united to Christ by faith. Wonderful, wonderful prepositions. As I was looking at these prepositions, I underlined them all in the first chapter there in my Bible real lightly, because I just want to see them. They're everywhere, super saturated. It made me think of Colossians 1.16. Colossians is a lot like Ephesians in language and flow. Listen to this passage from Colossians. Watch for the prepositional phrases. Some of you are thinking, man, I didn't pay attention in English. I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> for by him, all things were created. By him is a phrase I want you to pay attention to. For by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. There's another. For him. There's another. Man, what a Christ-centric book Colossians would be as well. Prepositional phrases help us see what Christ is up to. Uh, as I was looking at all these prepositional phrases and all these prepositions, I actually had to go look up what's a preposition. Okay, just to be honest with you. It's sort of rusty, you know, for me. But I'm going back and looking at them, and I'm thinking, man, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day-to-day -day pours forth speech. Night-to-night reveals knowledge. All these things, the stars, the clouds, the heavens. And I want to add to that list, prepositions declare the glory of God. Man, I, I, he, we don't know that he said this, but at some point, it's a created thing. So he said, somewhere in the storyline, let there be prepositions. And let them be things that point to what my son has done. They're all over and they're good. Man, I'm treasuring them. We're going to enjoy them these next few weeks. Now, so far, I hope you've gotten the point that you're going to be about to learn a lot about Jesus. 
But I also want you to see the Father at work. That's the other observation I want you to see from this passage. God the Father is still the prime mover behind what Christ is accomplishing. God the Father is the prime mover behind the big verbs there. He's driving the storyline. Here in this passage I just read in verse 8, it says, According to the riches of His grace. That's speaking of the Father. In verse 9, it's according to His purpose. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time. That's the Father's plan. And in verse 11, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his own will. That's speaking of the Father. This sermon this morning, last week, the coming sermons will be great insight into what God has done for mankind. What God the Father was up to in the work of the Son. They are great insight into how much God loves the world, in fact. All my life, I think one of the first verses I ever memorized, my dad baited me with a bag of peanut M&Ms and said, Son, if, if you, you remember I had a weight problem growing up. Learned lots of scripture, though. <laughs> one of the first verses I ever learned, if not the first, was John 3.16, For God so loved the world. You're probably familiar with it. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can almost taste the peanut M&M's as I say it. <laughs> My whole life has been an understanding of that passage that God so loved the world in this volume that there's just the big gobs of love for the world. But what I've realized, Holman Christian Standard was the Bible that helped me make sense of what is actually being said here in the original language. The translation that captures really what is being said there. It's not a volume so, but it is a surgical. It is how God loved the world. For God loved the world just so he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What we're going to be considering this morning, what we considered last week, what we're going to be considering next week are going to help us make sense of and, and understand how God loved the world. In what way does he love us? In what way does he love the world? Is it gobs of love? Or did he love the world with his son? And there's great insight into these three, or in these three weeks into blessings like that, spiritual blessings like that. These three weeks, I think, in understanding what the Father has done in the work of the Son are going to be, hopefully for us, blessings that matter to us. Blessings that we can apprehend and hold on to as durable blessings and I, my hope and prayer is that these sorts of blessings will be, these realizations of what the Father has done for us in the Son and how he loved the world will be things that invade and populate your prayers. I'm telling you right now, we should pray when people are sick, are injured. We did it this morning, are ailing. We should pray when someone loses someone. Absolutely, we should pray. We should pray when someone has a need of some sort. We should pray when someone's lost a job, when someone's looking for a job. Those are very real and appropriate things we should bring before the Father. But if that's all we ever bring and it's void of prayers that are populated with blessings like this, we already have gobs of blessings. If that's not the disposition of our prayer lives, then I wonder how the rest of it hits him. Man, this is prayer equipping, if anything, last week, this week, and next week. Great and wonderful insights that should populate your prayers with many thanks. For what we already have in spiritual places, spiritual realities that endure. Lastly, before we get into the things, the couple of things that we have from Christ here in this passage, I want to remind you that this letter was written to the saints. It was written to the saints in Ephesus. And that's not the, the, the upper crust Christians in Ephesus. That's all the Christians. Saints and Christians are synonymous here in this passage, and they're synonymous here. You may not consider yourselves a saint, but if you're trusting Christ, according to our Bibles, that's who you are as well. And this letter was written to the saints, and it appears here. Let me just be real honest with you about something. As I'm preaching a sermon like this, what I'm about to preach to you, it is just so void of anything having to do with your finances, your relationship issues, it is so void of help for your marriages, I mean directly. I'm not even going to talk about those things beyond the words that just came out of my mouth this morning. 
And that's hard for a preacher because we want to bring salve to the wound. We know that you come wounded lots of times, if not all the time, in some way. We get that. So thinking about bringing a message like this, is, it's hard because it's, it, there's a potential for you to sit here and go, what does this have to do with my money issues, my relationship issues, my marital issues, whatever it might be? What does this have to do with the report that I just got from my doctor? And what I've realized, man, this isn't just... A message like this telling us what God has accomplished for us in Christ isn't just for maybe some unbelievers among us. And the rest of us just sort of endure on that Sunday until we get to our real issues like finances and relationships that we're dealing with now that we're believers. And what I've realized is, man, the way into the faith, as we have a message like we have today about what Christ has done, what God has done for us in Christ, is also the way on in the faith. The way into the faith is also the way on in the faith. What we're going to consider in these next few minutes are not academic, heady notions that only theologians and seminary students are appointed to sit around and talk about and consider. These things that we're going to consider today are what we could understand and know that our Paul considers, God considers apparently, because they're all in our Bible, good food. Things that Christians need to eat weekly. Things that will equip martyrs. To be faithful to the end. Things like this. These guys over there that are getting their heads cut off, that are not renouncing their faith, I just can't imagine that they're not staying true with only a diet of relationships and financing, finance sermons. I'm just convinced they had something more. They had some sustenance to what they're eating each week. And that's what I want us to eat because I think that's what God's given us right here. It's sermons like this and what we're about to consider about what Christ has done that will equip martyrs that will, frankly, sustain marriages without talking directly to marriage. Things like this will sustain difficult marriages. They'll give you a different lens for your marriage. It's truths like what we're about to consider that will guide youth more than just keeping them occupied with little games that mentioning Jesus as we spew milk out of our nose and laugh and cut up and take candid pictures. I'm not making little of fun stuff for youth, but man, I'm telling you, it's truths like this that youth need to hear because it'll sustain you as you step off into college, as you start looking for a husband or a wife, and you start looking for a church. This equips martyrs and it equips youth and everybody in between. It will sustain the weary it's stuff like this that will lift the heart of the depressed. Uh, I'm telling you right now, this is medicine for the hurting. Now, enough about what it is. Let's get off into it. All right, right here in verse 7 is the first of the two. In Christ, we have redemption and forgiveness. What I want to do in these next couple minutes is sort of unpack. I'm going to spend the majority of my time on this first thing having to do with Christ. It is most developed for me. The second one is sort of newer for me and less developed, so I'm going to say less just to make sure I don't say something I won't have to clean up later. Okay? But this first, I really want to develop. Man, this is some good stuff right here. First of all, I want to read the verse again. I want us to saturate our minds and our, ourselves with this passage this morning. In Him, this is in Christ... We have redemption through his blood, that's Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I want to break this down, not word by word, but maybe phrases and words here for a moment. First of all, we have redemption. This passage is not saying that it's something that we will have or it's something that we might have or it's something that we have from time to time. This is something that we have, period. It must have been something that Paul, a Jew among Jews, that was saturated, that went to the Harvard version of Judaism, that was taught by Gamaliel, that knew that they had experienced 1,500 years of the sacrificial system. It must have been especially satisfying for him to say, we have, for him to write it, we have redemption. Now, period. Because for 1,500 years of the sacrificial system, it was like a 1,500-year-old itch 
that was developed right in the center of their back that could only be scratched by something divine, and that's what Christ brought. A 1,500-year sacrificial system was just one big itch. It must have been quite, quite satisfying for Paul to write, we have redemption. I wonder if that's not what drove Simeon and Anna to go to the temple every day looking for the Christ child. They just weren't go there to go see a baby. Man, they had an itch right in the middle of their back for a solution to a 1,500-year problem. They needed redemption finally and forevermore. A few years back, those of you that have lived here for some time, those of you that aren't from around here, I'm about to catch you up on a little local trivia. It's not interesting trivia. It's just a good illustration, one I've used before that I'll continue to use until I find a better one. There's a bridge that leads right over there, uh, or that, that's right over I-30, right over by uh, Walmart. For those of you that know, are from here, you know what I'm talking about. This bridge is a four-lane bridge now. It hadn't always been a four-lane bridge. Those of you that live here know that there was a period of about two years, it felt like 12 years, where that bridge was under construction. It may not even have been two years. It felt like it. Because if you needed to go from this side of town right here to go to uh, Chick-fil-A or to go to Starbucks, you would have to go, unless you just had gobs of time and didn't care, didn't mind sitting at a light or at construction for hours, you'd have to go all the way around by L3, all the way around to the other side of town just to come to Starbucks or Chick-fil-A. What was difficult for me is I was driving a motorcycle at the time. I've since gotten the motorcycle thing out of my system. You know, the, the midlife crisis has passed, and, I, and I, I'm not driving a motorcycle anymore. But at the time, I'm driving a motorcycle, and I'm not picking on anybody driving a motorcycle this morning. <laughs> I'm just saying my issues. I'm sitting at this, in this traffic, just baking in the summer on this motorcycle, thinking, why do I have a motorcycle, and when will they finish this bridge? Just watching them, and hard to make sense that they're actually accomplishing anything. Well, they've obviously accomplished something because we drive across that bridge often, often with nary a thought about the investment, the time investment that it took to build that bridge. The blood, sweat, and tears that went into it for the guys that actually built it. And I've thought about how often do we just make a beeline to Christ not realizing, in prayer, not realizing how long it took to build that bridge of redemption, of access, of this, this, this walk-in with no appointment access that we have to the Father. How easily we might drive across that bridge not realizing that it was expensive to get there. This redemption is something that we have now and it's something that we should appreciate now. Some people pine for it for a long time. And we have it. Secondly, this redemption is something that we only have in Christ. This is not the second thing that Jesus has accomplished for me, this, or for us. This is the second thing in my note about the first thing. So you can keep your, your, your notes straight. This redemption that we have is something that we only have in Christ. There's a nice little prepositional phrase here, remembering that we enjoy prepositions as they declare the glory of God. This one right here says particularly, through his blood is how we have redemption. It doesn't say that his blood is one way by which we might have redemption. It sounds and is pretty doggone specific. Here's the reality for us, the reality for the Ephesian church, is that you can't be good enough to be saved... And then there's Jesus' blood for those real despicable sinners. It's just Jesus' blood, period. There is no other way by we will be, that we can be saved. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we could add, given this passage, but by my blood. It's the only detergent for our sins, period. Period. This word redemption, I want to spend a moment developing this word. The Greek word has to do with the payment of a ransom to secure release. A ransom to secure release should be a familiar storyline to you. If you're like me, if you enjoy any rough and tumble movie, a ransom to secure release, paying for some sort of hostage release, hostage situation, is like the most familiar rough and tumble storyline 
known to man. I watched, I just pulled up this Netflix, free Netflix video that I watched this weekend that was that storyline. And I thought, man, that just sounds familiar. These hostages are taken and they're not going to be released unless some certain amount of money is pay, paid. And then the drama unfolds about how that goes down. The bad guys take this hostage. But in this storyline, in this cosmic rough and tumble, is what I want you to think about what's unfolding in these next few minutes. There's a cosmic rough and tumble where we're the hostage, hostages, and where a price has to be paid for our release. And we are set free eventually on the basis of a ransom paid fully for our release. And the ransom is paid to God. Years ago, I shared a story with Evan, and I've shared this story before, too. I was trying to explain the essence of the gospel to Evan when she was looking for answers and understanding the gospel. She was wanting to be baptized and wanting to trust Christ and wanting to understand what all that meant. So I explained this story to her. I said, I want you to imagine that you're going to visit the Roddens. The Roddens live across the street from us. And I want you to imagine you're going to visit the Roddens, and you're about halfway across the street, and you find yourself standing in concrete that is now solidified around your ankles. You're frozen and stuck in the street, and you can't get across the street. That sounds kind of weird. You know, it's a made-up story. But I said, Evan, I want you to imagine now. I don't, she was five or six years old at this point. I want you to imagine you're standing there in that concrete, and you, I mean, that's a problem in and of itself. But you look up, and bearing down on you, which was another unrealistic thing on our street, Oakland, Oak, Oak Creek, Woodland Drive. Man, my mind is all kind of, we live on Woodland Drive and have for 12 years. You got an 18-wheeler bearing down on you. And Evan's eyes got really big. You know, even little kids know what an 18-wheeler is. They've seen them on the highway. And she, her eyes gets really big. And she's looking at oh. She didn't make that noise, but she kind of had that look on her face. She had a look on her face, and I said, yeah, it's pretty scary. Isn't it? You're stuck in the concrete, and an 18-wheeler is bearing down on you. And someone at the last second, just before that 18-wheeler smacks you, picks you up out of the concrete, somehow frees you and liberates you from the concrete, sets you safely on the other side in the green grass, and then in the process gets smacked by the 18-wheeler. And I said, Evan, okay, I want you to think about this. I want you to give me your answer. I can't remember how she answered this, but in the years since then, I've had answers all over the place. I said, who is the 18-wheeler? Most times, more often than not, the answer will be, well, that's Satan. Well, here's the news of this passage, and here's the news of the gospel. Satan who? Satan who? Satan is a chump who has to ask God's permission to scratch his hiney. God owes, the son owes, Satan nothing. The ransom that was paid for us, us hostages, was paid to the Father, a holy, righteous judge that rightfully can and should mete out our debts. Man, the Mack truck is God the Father. R.C. Sproul says we are saved by God from God. Man, you want to understand the essence of the gospel. Understand that we were saved by the Father. By the Son, from the white-hot, holy, justice, just and anger of the Father. As a ministry of grace toward us, a holy God made a way for us to bypass His wrath. And that's by His Son taking His wrath for us. The bumper. Man, you need to get who owes who here. And the Son paid it all to the Father for, it, for us. We owed a debt that we couldn't pay to the Father, and the penalty for that death or for that debt is death. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, and the wages for sin is death. But the Son died in our place. The Son died the righteous for the unrighteous. He paid for our release. Not with cash, not with silver and gold, but with warm hemoglobin carrying, white cell flowing, red blood cell flowing, real, holy blood. And the blood of his son was the ransom price. 
man, this is something that we should appreciate, that it was expensive. I asked the question myself, why not cash? Why not silver and gold? Why did it have to be blood? Remember I told you we had a 1,500-year itch that was developed. We also had a 1,500-year tutor. And in that 1,500 years, there was not, as far as I know, there was not one single sacrifice that's, that's strangled. As far as I know, I don't know of one single sacrifice that's bludgeoned to death. Not in this faith, not in this storyline. Maybe some weird pagan religions, but not in this religion. In God's economy, the only thing that would pay for sin and cover sin is the blood of an innocent. And that's why their throats were cut. And they bled real blood because sin is that expensive. The payment for it is expensive. The price of it is the cost of the life of an innocent. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 is a passage I'll share with you that Peter appeals to the elect exiles and the dispersion. He says, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious, precious blood of Christ, like that of the lamb of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's the story in this cosmic rough and tumble. And I told you it's a rough and tumble. There's bloodshed in this storyline. It was expensive. And only the blood of an unblemished innocent would pay for our sins. And only Christ's blood would pay for ours. And oh, but did it pay. See, here's the other half of that first point. That we have redemption. And he goes on to say in this passage, he, he sort of expounds on that. He says... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This Greek word for forgiveness is very close to the word for redemption, but it's different enough to spend a few moments on. And it's different enough for Paul to use a different word. It was used in ancient literature for the release of captives and the cancellation of a legal charge or financial obligation or punishment. But here's where the real escort to understanding what this is. This, this is what helped me this week, is studying how it's used in the Greek Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. How this word is used and translated in the Greek Old Testament. Here are some examples. Release, amnesty, liberty. Those all make sense, but here's a beautiful one, and one that is just a great, great illustration. It's Jubilee. Turn to the book of Leviticus, chapter 25. It's one of the only satellites I have you going to this morning, but I want you to see it. I want you to see it because it'll minister to you, I promise. Leviticus, way back there, the beginning of the Bible, near the beginning. Leviticus chapter 25. Jubilee is a beautiful picture of what we have in Christ. Let me encourage you to. If you're kind of like, man, hey, I'm kind of zoning out this morning, I really don't want anybody to zone out on this next little illustration. If you're like, oh, I've had a tough time following this morning, so you're, 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 you're checked out. And I'm not accusing anybody. I'm not seeing a lot of that this morning. But I'm seeing enough of it where I care enough of you, about you in particular, where I'm asking you, pay attention to this illustration. Even if you have a hard time following a sermon, you can get this illustration. It travels. It delivers. Okay. Beginning in chapter 25, verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. That's a long way of saying count 49 years. Okay? Those of you that are paying attention newly, those of you that have been paying attention, we've got 49-year period. Okay, let's just call that 49 period just regular old life. Okay? But then in verse 9... Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, a very fitting day where the blood of an innocent is shed to cover the sins of the people. On that day, blow the trumpet throughout all your land. And here's what's going to go down on that day. And you shall consecrate the 50th year. A whole year, something's going to happen after those forty-nine. 49 years of just regular old life. 
The Day of Atonement marks a new year. And on this year, here's what's going to go down. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Okay, that sounds kind of cool. Liberty. I would think about like bells and stuff, you know. Liberty, I'm not really sure what that is. Well, let's see what it is because he gives them some real particulars. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Now, you may not be getting that yet. What this is saying is if you lost your house, if it was foreclosed on, if you made some really bad decisions and you lost everything and you had to go live on the streets, but you had to sell your property, guess what happens when the year of Jubilee comes around? You get it back. What? That doesn't even sound fair. It sounds like a scandal. Look what happens. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. Here's another little glimpse of it that gives a little more detail in verse 39. This, this is a little more particular. You can probably climb into this story because maybe you haven't had your, lost your house or anything. But you can imagine becoming poor. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, this guy is so destitute that he sells, him into, sells himself into basically indentured servitude, slavery. You shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner just there for a period of time. He shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. And here's what happens on the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. Whatever debt is owed will be forgiven, and he goes home to his land. Just imagine for a moment the joy of that year. It goes 49 years of regular life. Imagine that you're born on year two. Imagine you're 47 years old when the year of Jubilee comes around, and you've spent 47 years of your life as an indentured servant. And you get the news of Jubilee. When that horn blows, you're like, yes, we're free. You're 47 years old. You've never known anything else. Imagine the joy of that morning, a moment. Imagine just for a moment that your parents, let's just call them, just, let's, let me just grab a couple names. Uh, about Adam and Eve. Let's just imagine for a moment that your parents make some really bad decisions and that it caught you up in something that you couldn't get out of. And imagine this for a moment that this horn is blown, this blood is shed on the Day of Atonement, and something so profound happens that you are set free. The joy of that year, the wonder of that year, you are scot-free, and in fact, you return to the garden. Oh, excuse me. You return to the land that was yours. Man, you want to know what was accomplished for us in Christ? The forgiveness of sins... The redemption that we have, we have a beautiful picture in Jubilee. See, the result of his work on the cross is that God has declared an eternal Jubilee. It doesn't last just a year. It never ends for us. For those who are in Christ, it's like an eternal mulligan. You mean I get a do-over? And even if I fail in the do-over, it's covered Man, that's the scandal of the gospel. That's the scandal of what we have in Christ. We have redemption. He's canceled our debt. He's forgiven our sins. And the punishment we were due was meted out on Christ. And it was gruesome. And it was a cosmic rough and tumble. The redemption is the cause and forgiveness is the effect. They're different enough to distinguish between the two. Redemption is the cause, and forgiveness is the effect. Now, the second thing that Christ has accomplished for us. This will be more brief, shorter. I don't know how to say that. It would be briefer. Is that a, I don't know if that's a word. 
and it'll be briefer because, I don't, still don't know if that's the word. It sounds weird. It will be shorter because it's something new to me. I mean, I, I don't for a moment want to ever give you the impression that I have everything figured out. I've only been at this 12 years. That's not a long time. The more I study, the more I preach, the more I realize I don't know and have yet to learn. And this is one of those places that I've sort of stepped into going, wait a second, this is sort of new, and it's, it's new to me. The second thing that we have in Christ, apparently, that comes from this passage is that we have wisdom and insight. Now, what's going to be complicated a little bit, and I don't want to scare you by the word complication, is I have to deal with a translation issue to deal with this second point. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I, don't want to, I always, each week, have to try to figure out how much of my time in my study do I bring into the pulpit. I want to bring just a little bit, just enough to where you don't just, I don't ever want you to hear anything from me just, just falling for it hook, line, and sinker. I want you to test it. And I want you to see where we're standing this morning. The second point that we glean from this passage that we have in, in Christ, I want you to see if you see it as well. It begins at the end of verse 8, or excuse me, the end of verse 7. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. If your head is spinning, that's okay. Let me help you kind of sort this out. As a special ministry of grace, which he lavished on us, God gave us wisdom and insight into his will and his purpose set forth in Christ. Now, it's a problematic translation here because most of our translations sort of word this to where it looks like God in wisdom and insight said, huh, I think this will be a really wise and insightful plan. Let me give them some insight into my will in Christ Jesus. That in God's wisdom and insight, that he somehow made known to us the purpose of his will in Christ Jesus. What I'm finding here, where all my commentators go, and I'll show you a couple of those reasons here in a moment. Every single one of my commentators, they're not translators, they're commentators, which are two different things. Our translators have been given the task of taking the original language and turning it into a sensical, meaningful representation of the Greek language, in this case, in the New Testament. They're not charged with the task of commentary, and even interpretation necessarily, though some take some interpretation liberties, NIV being one of them. Usually that bothers me. This morning, the NIV did probably the better, better NIV for the win today, any of you that carry the NIV, which surprises me. NIV, the way they word this passage, and then also the message. I can't believe I'm actually quoting the message this morning, but it's really pretty good. It's really pretty good. Just, you know, we'll, we'll just, just listen to it. In him, this is NIV, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us, period. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Now, the reason I don't like that is because it still puts it on God the Father. At least they put a period in front of it. So they're moving in a good direction. But listen how the message Eugene Peterson handles it. I like the way he handled it, actually. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people. You should read the the message sometimes. It's not a bad thing just because it's not our ESV or NAS or whatever version that you're near and dear to you. It's actually really nice. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. That's good. He thought of everything, is what he says. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. Now, where I would insert wisdom and insight is he thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, i.e., wisdom and insight into making sense of his will according to Christ Jesus, according to his purpose in Christ Jesus. Now, if your head is spinning right now, that's okay. I'm going to help you sort it out. We're going to come back to those things. I'm just kind of laying a little foundation here that we'll come back to. First of all, I want to take a moment. Indulge me for a minute, and let's just look at these two words, wisdom and insight. The first word, you can turn to Proverbs 7 if you want to have your hands ready to see something. The first word, the word wisdom is in Greek, Sophia. This word means 
insight into the true nature of things. Okay? Insight into the true nature of things. Wisdom. The second word means, it's very close to Sophia, but it's different. This word leans more in the direction of understanding the relevance and the nature of things. Understanding the practical side of wisdom. Now I want to show you that these words are often put together. And I want to show you where the source here will come back to be important here in a moment. Proverbs chapter 7 verse 4 says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. What I want you to see right now is that these things often go together as companions of a wise person. Wisdom and insight. The first one's more theoretical, and the second one more practical. Now, what's cool in this, what is really sort of scary to me at the same time, is that God, in a ministry of grace, lavished on us, gives us all wisdom and insight. And that all is not a volume all. It's a different kind of all. It means every kind of wisdom and insight. That he has lavished on us grace, giving us wisdom and insight, all or every kind of wisdom and insight. Now, this is one of the first clues that this isn't referring, I don't believe, to God's wisdom and insight. Because this word all, if it were speaking of God, our creator's wisdom and insight, it would be all. Because he's not the source of every kind of wisdom and insight. He's the source of all wisdom and insight, period. That's one of the first clues that this is speaking of and pointing back to something that is given us in Christ, wisdom and insight. And that all modifies both of these words, telling us that together as the church, we, with that key word in there, us, he has given us every kind of wisdom and insight Theoretical and practical. He has given that to the church. That's the us. This is what I've been working toward. If you're kind of like, man, I'm really lost. Okay, let me gather this up for you. Right here in a nice bow. All, that word, meaning every kind, modifies wisdom and insight, telling us that together we as the church have every kind of wisdom and insight, theoretical and practical. In Christ, God has given the church the wisdom, discernment, and insight of Solomon. Remember, I just just read from Proverbs. The beauty is that we have in Christ, together the church has the wisdom of Solomon. Man, that should cause you to marvel. That's not talking about any of you individually. It's talking about together, that we together have wisdom and discernment and insight into God's will as it regards Christ Jesus. Man, that should arrest you. When you want to find some wisdom and insight into things to realize that, oh, you can go to the church and find those things. And specifically, he's teasing out and connecting this to this wisdom and insight isn't about being uh, like winning at trivia games. This wisdom and insight is into understanding the mystery of his will according to his purpose set forth in Christ. It's specifically saying, here's how I'm going to give you wisdom and insight into God's will. It's not about winning trivial pursuit. It's about making sense of what God is up to in your life as it regards the work of Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, as I was thinking through this morning, I told Christy, I said, the second half of this sermon, ooh, man, it's precarious, it's loose, it's not tight, I don't really have a handle on it. I'm hoping some of this stuff is connecting to you, where you're realizing that wisdom and insight has been given to the church. And wisdom and insight that connects to your lives, in your loss, in your loss, in little Micah's sickness, in the room full of things that come together, that the church has been given like Solomon-like wisdom and insight into making sense of how the gospel connects to your life. Of making sense of how God's will in Christ Jesus connects to your life. He has given us as a grace lavished on us both theoretical and practical insight. 
both wisdom and discernment into his will connected to his ultimate purpose as set forth in Christ. Everything we face is to be connected to Christ. How does this situation, this loss, this pain, this report, this triumph connect to Christ? What is God doing in this situation in regards to Christ? What is his will regarding his purpose in Christ in this marital conflict? Don't waste your marital conflict by not connecting it to Christ. It's a gift to you to take you to how the gospel connects. Don't waste those things. And it's in the church that we find together he has given us wisdom and insight into figuring out his purpose in Christ in your financial struggle. Yes, even that. You want to cordon that stuff off and leave it apart from the gospel? You're, missing, you're wasting it. You're missing out on God is, how God has connected the gospel to that. And the church is where you find answers to that. Man, it's in the church and with the church that he's given wisdom and insight into making sense of what God is doing and his purpose in Christ with your health crisis. Don't waste your cancer is a book that, or article or something that John Piper wrote. What a great phrase. Don't waste it by missing out on how the gospel connects to that. The church together has every kind of wisdom. It's not all of it. We have every kind, every sort that we need to move forward with Solomon-like wisdom. Man, I needed to hear that. I don't know about you, but I needed to hear that. I have two really brief application points for you, very brief. Here's the first. I encourage you to connect to and understand and remember redemption and forgiveness that we have in Christ to actually think about it over the course of the week. If you just leave it right here, you're missing out on some goods that you have that will temper everything that you're dealing with, everything that you go through from day to day. When you take truths like redemption and forgiveness, remember it's not just the way in, it's also the way on. When you take those truths into your Tuesday, into that moment where you're feeling like, man, I'm so frustrated right now. When those things invade, when those truths invade that moment, there's a word for that. And the word is worship. When you don't, you don't realize that you were just equipped in this last hour so that you could take that into that moment. Take this into that moment. I encourage you, connect to, understand, and remember the redemption and forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. And when you do that, it will mean jubilee for you. I could do with some jubilee. Anybody else need some jubilee? I need some jubilee on Wednesdays. Wednesdays are hard days for me. I don't know why. Relentlessly. It's probably because we get up really early and go pray, which I'm thankful for, but I'm like, I like sleep, man. (laughs) I need some jubilee. Man, connecting to what we have in Christ will connect us to jubilee. And then when we experience jubilee in those tough days, days are in those dark situations in those struggles we will actually have some things like here's one of those things you'll have a peace that passes understanding huh you'll have a joy in a trial that will make other people go hey man you must have something i don't i want it it's an attractant It's sharing the gospel in a trial by holding on to something that's so profound, a spiritual blessing that is so profound that it gives you hope, joy, peace in the trial. That's what it means to be salty, bright, and aromatic. That's what faith is. That's what you're equipped for, you're being equipped for right now to go do. Man, you'll have a peace that passes understanding. You'll have joy in trials. You'll be thankful in all things because you'll be walking in perpetual, eternal jubilee. Man, you got to talk about it, though. Dads, I'm going to confess to you. There was a time in my daddying where I was more intentional about these sorts of things in my home, talking about them. And I shared with you at the end of Hebrews, I kind of had a little dark period, you know, where I don't even want to talk about this stuff. I loved it. I died for it. I cherished it, but I just tired, cashed. 
man, I want to talk about this stuff at home. I want to talk with my kids about what it means that we're walking in Jubilee. I want to talk with my kids about what it means and my wife about what it means when we're having a bad day, when we've had a rough spot, about the spiritual blessings that we already have. There's a name for that. It's called worship. The second application is wisdom and insight and spiritual blessings are found together with the church. Together we can discern God's will for Christ's connections in your struggles. It's in Christ that we're blessed together with the sister and brother wisdom and insight that was given to Solomon. What Solomon prayed for, we have in spades in Christ Jesus. Man, that's beautiful. I need to know that. I needed that encouragement. My mind went to Matthew eleven twenty five, where Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children because I feel like little child number one. Man, if any of you ever think for a moment that I've got all this figured out as I'm pastoring this church, little child number one. But thankfully, man, and Brad and Scott feel the same way. It's not an incompetence. It's not a, we feel like a piece of trash. It's not some weird stuff like that. It's just realizing, man, this thing is so big for us. Who is capable of such weighty and awesome things? Man, that God has given us in Christ the wisdom and discernment that we need to move forward. As a pastor that feels frail and feeble from, every, from week to week, as a shepherd that's frailly and feebly leading a family, as a mom that's just trying to keep it in the middle of the road and get kids where they're supposed to be and get a meal on the table maybe, man, he's given you wisdom and discernment in Christ. If there was ever a cause for life group, if there was ever a case to be made for life groups to walk together in the preached word, it's right here. That together we find wisdom and discernment. Together he's given us wisdom and discernment. We'll understand it together, how God's will in Christ connects to your lives. And I'm not talking figuratively. I'm talking actually. Now, let me pray. God, I hope and pray with everything in me that some of this last point especially, well, I... I hope and pray the first point just overwhelms us with the redemption and forgiveness that we have in Christ. I pray that it will fuel our weak and fuel those rough spots. I pray, too, that it will temper those times where we're carefree and, and, our, and have the wind to our back. That it will give us a sobriety as we live as elect exiles in this dispersion. God, I pray the cost of that blood, the cost of the sacrifice, the cost of the detergent to cover our sin will be something that arrests us. I pray that it will be something that invades our conversations as families as we marvel together at this gospel, this jubilee that we're walking in, where we are restored to the land that we don't deserve. God, I pray that that overwhelms us. And God, on the second point, I pray that you would sort out that mess, that we will see such wisdom and insight that we have together in Christ and because of Christ. This wisdom and insight that we have together as the church into your will and how it relates to Christ. I pray that that would be played out in life groups. I pray it would be played out in uh, LTGs, our Bible studies, our families as they're sitting and talking, that there will be a wisdom and discernment that's given to a bunch of little children. Together we will marvel that you've given wisdom and discernment and insight to a bunch of little children. But they will step forward confidently knowing that we have it, period. Whatever we may feel like we have it in Christ. I need that. I need that reminder. I needed to be equipped with that today. God, we love you so much. We are thankful for these truths. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The supper is coming from Proverbs 9.
in lieu of wisdom. I thought this fitting. There are two ladies in Proverbs 9. There's a lady named Folly and a lady named Wisdom. Let me tell you about the lady named Folly first because I want to end on the lady named Wisdom. Both of these ladies are offering a meal. Here's the first lady, Folly, verse 13. The woman Folly is loud. She's seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, minding their own business. She's calling a seductress. Whoever is simple, turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, to any children out there, they're just minding their own business, to any knuckleheads, fellow knuckleheads out there, the seductress calls. This lady named Folly To him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Man, she has a promise, she has a message, and she has a meal, but it is death. But we, on the other hand, have a different meal altogether. In Christ, we have a wisdom meal. We have a meal with a different gal. Proverbs 9 begins with these words. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. And she also has set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, any children among you, Any fellow knuckleheads, whoever's simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. I want that meal. That's the meal that we take every week. Not with a woman named Folly. We take a meal with a woman named Wisdom, and we take it by the work of Christ. And this meal, man, it liberates us from our simple ways. It guards us from the death at the other table, and it takes us to life and insight. Let's distribute this meal and have a meal with Wisdom. Any other children need a meal? Anybody simple? Any y'all simple? Anybody else? Anybody feeling kind of simple and like a child? Got the good news. Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine. She's set her table. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And they have beautiful feet out here. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Lord's Supper is a meal of wisdom. The simple come and find sense here. Here we find life and insight. Let's take and eat. Let's take and drink.